Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. The bigger picture, only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. Welcome to the bigger picture. Well, markets so far in Asia trading under quite a bit of pressure as we see some jitters as investors brace for what's to come. So far, we've seen in the headlines China taking steps to ease the housing crisis, US shares overnight falling the most in two months, and Singaporeans are many of them still digesting the news from Sunday's National Day rally speech. And of course, down the road, we've got the Jackson Hole Symposium to figure out where the Fed will go from here. Let's check in with Tamo Baik. He is the chief economist for DBS Bank. Morning, Tamo. How are you doing today? Good morning. Hey, Tamo, let's talk about what's been coming through the news flow. And we've been hearing a lot from the National Day rally, lots of highlights. What stood out for you? I think that the country seems to be getting back on track after two years of stumble around COVID. The whole world stumbled, and Singapore being an open economy, hugely reliant on tourism, on large events, certainly needs to get back on track. So I felt that, you know, the visuals of, you know, lots of people together celebrating and sort of asserting that, you know, we're going to go back and track with respect to investments for the longer term, that sort of suggested to me, you know, Singapore was sort of back in business. So that's my overriding feeling, generally speaking, for countries that have gone through the turbulence of the last two years, but have not ended up in a substantially weaker position to deal with the coming challenges of climate change and tech disruption. And these countries, in my view, will be the winners going forward. And Singapore, with the sort of long-term planning, even in the last few days, we saw plans for the T5 getting revamped mm. and restarted. I think those are encouraging developments. Can't be always focused on the very near-term firefight. There are longer challenges to be met, and for that, one needs long-term vision. Hey, Timur, a bit of a tone of optimism coming through from what we heard from Sunday's National Day rally speech. And seems to be something we can look forward to as well, some normalization as we see uh, rate settings going back to pre-COVID levels. Federal Reserve, of course, will be in focus when we get the Jackson Hole Symposium underway. There seems to be some adjustments when it comes to expectations. Last week, we were talking about 50 basis points perhaps next month. And it seems like there's more talk now that we might get 75 basis points. So why are you seeing, um, Demo? Well, how many times have we had this back and forth as far as the markets are concerned? So it's a yo-yo. Uh, one day, the market feels that the economy is slowing so much that inflation matters will go in the back burner, and then we start pricing in 50. And the next day, the market feels, well, inflation is really big a problem, and the economy is not slowing that much, so maybe 75. So the Fed, in my view, I think would like to only do 50. And the reason for that is if you look at the data that came out for the month of July, uh, suggests that it is really about oil. We can talk about rent and wages and goods prices around supply chain disruption, but it's really at the end of the day about oil. Oil a few months ago was up 90% on a year-on-year basis. Now it's only up about 20% on a year-on-year basis. That alone imparts a massive disinflationary impulse around the entire set of prices in the world. Over time, whether the experience of the 70s or the 90s, we can see that when oil is on an ascendancy, it pushes up a wide variety of prices. When it is depressed, it brings down a wide range of prices. So if we get good supply-side developments, whether it is from the U.S., the Canadians, the Latin Americans, the Middle Easterns, uh, even for that matter, Iran, the deal that is about to get signed, if we get substantial supply of oil assured for the winter uh, that is coming, as well as the 2023 period, I think we are okay with inflation, and that would give the Fed 
this desired path where they orchestrate a soft landing as opposed to doing the 75 basis points a month after month and bringing a massive slowdown and if not an outright deep recession in the U.S. economy. Yeah. So the bias is toward not doing too much. Yeah, Tema, it's interesting you mentioned oil because it is in the headlines. Um, OPEC plus the Saudi Arabians saying that the futures market is increasingly disconnected from fundamentals and they are talking about maybe tightening production when they meet up next month. What would that do if they do so for oil prices and, of course, the economic implications? So as we know, Saudi Arabia is a very influential member of OPEC and they are the ones that were solicited most strenuously by Joe Biden when prices were going through the roof this summer and Mr. Biden actually went all the way to Saudi Arabia to beseech the Saudis to lead OPEC into increasing mm. oil output. At the end of all that song and dance, we only got 100,000 barrels additional. That is a drop in the bucket. So OPEC clearly is very much in favor of keeping things a bit tight, enjoying the $100 plus bonanza. We have seen Saudi Aramco declare highest profit of all time, even in our backyard, Indonesia, Australia, Malaysia, quite a bit of uh, money coming in from commodity exports. So I think they feel that after many years of depressed oil prices, this is their moment in the sun. Mm. But, you know, it's not just about wealth transfer from oil importers to oil exporters. It's about energy security. And I think that is the area where the Europeans are very worried. The Americans are getting increasingly worried. And the Middle Eastern producers, including the Saudis, can be a bit too cavalier about that because they do get a lot of support from the Western economies, militarily, economically. So I think the meeting of the mind would be supply side needs to be a little easier, not tighter. Yeah, look at where oil is trading right now, at least for WTI, is at 91. And it's down about 3% for the month. And Brent is at 97, down about 3% as well. And part of the equation is the demand picture coming through from China. And this is where we've got a bit of a property crisis brewing, where some home buyers are boycotting mortgages. And you've got China stepping in to give special loans to the property sector. How much of concern is this for you, Timo? It's a big concern, not as big a concern as it was with respect to the subprime crisis in the U.S. back in 2008, because the amount of structured products and layered exposure through the global investment community is, of course, far more muted as far as the Chinese property market is concerned. But China's property market and all the activities around it contribute a very large portion to China's GDP. So a major slowdown or crisis-like condition, even if it doesn't have like global contagion implications, is very bad news for China. And given that China is such a big importer of global commodities, it's bad news for the commodity outlook. So which is why I think every time China releases yet another data development, which is on the negative side, we see commodity markets weaken. And that's been the par for the course over the last two, three months. Now, this cannot go on. China has to sooner or later step in in a fairly strenuous manner to get the property market, feel some sort of a bottom, feel some sort of a turnaround prospect. How do they do that? By injecting liquidity, Mm. by allowing property developers to find ways to raise money. And that perhaps is what we're beginning to see. There's just no way around it. They have to support the property market given its role and systemic implications for the Chinese economy. Yeah, plenty of headwinds though. You've got the power crisis where power cuts are going through in Sichuan. And also you've got many, I guess, consumers tightening their belts with the prospects of a recession around corner. Is that something you expect to continue in the coming months where consumers are just more wary about spending and just cutting back? I think both of these are global phenomena now. So whether it is China 
or India or Europe or the U.S., we are seeing water levels deplete. We are seeing hydroelectric projects finding major problems with respect to production. And we're also seeing extreme heat causing a problem for a wide variety of activities, including solar production. This is something that I only realized earlier this week, that when temperature is consistently above 30 degrees Celsius, the efficiency of solar cells start to deplete. So you can have an extremely hot world and think that, well, that's good enough for the solar industry. Mm. No, the, the extreme heat is also has negative implications for solar power generation. So, yes, we have power-related problems coming from increased frequency of hot weather around the world. China is facing the same thing, but it's happening elsewhere as well. And high cost of conventional energy, be it gas or coal or gasoline, is certainly having an impact on consumers' pocketbooks. You've seen consumer expectations dim, and certainly both with respect to energy consumption and overall consumption, these are negatives. Yeah, so a bit of uh, short-term pain at least to expect when it comes to the transition away from um, the fossil fuel space. Returning to Tamar Bake, he is the Chief Economist for DBS Bank, helping us to break down the latest headlines. Tamar, thanks for your time as always, and we'll catch up again with you soon. Thank you so much. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.